The date is June 23rd of 2018. Akapol Wong was a 25-year-old Thai youth soccer coach. Some of you may remember this story as I begin to share it with you. But this man decided after practice he was going to take his team of 12 boys between the ages of 11 and 16 into a cave that he had ventured into many, many times. If you could go ahead and put that first picture up. This is the coach with his team. This is the coach with his team. Now they traveled into this cave and out of nowhere monsoon rains began to hit. And they were underground and the cave began to flood rapidly. The team would actually get stuck inside that cave and they would remain there for over two weeks. They would remain there for over two weeks. Now, what turned into uh, something horrific was not planned. It was supposed to be in, an adventure into a cave that would be a quick adventure and then out to return the team to their parents. The team, not expecting for this monsoon rain to hit, only brought a small rope, one flashlight, and a few batteries. The team had no water. The team had no food. They were unable to escape, and so the coach and the team were left stranded. Weeks passed before rescuers discovered them. So if you could go ahead and put the next picture. This is a team of people from all over the globe trying to rescue these young boys and their coach. Starving. Quickly running out of oxygen, the team survived by drinking fresh water that came through a very small hole in the part of the cave in which they were trapped. These boys, in order to keep from being overcome by worry, anxiety, and fear, repeated the Thai mantra, Su, Su, and it means keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. The boys' search and rescue stole the global spotlight. It became an international goal to rescue these young men. They brought in cave diving experts, they brought in Navy SEALs, and they raced to rescue and evacuate this team. British divers found that they were two and a half miles into the cave, trapped. And on July 2nd, they found the boys, and in an extremely dangerous effort, they began to try to rescue them. If you would show the last picture. Now this picture right here is a picture of hope. All of the boys and the coach were rescued safely. They had lost tons of weight. But there were a few rescuers who lost their lives trying to get to these young men. Lost their lives. The rescue was complicated. It was risky. It was time-consuming. It was nerve-wracking. It was expensive. But I think I would speak for every person in this room and those viewing online. I think we would all agree that the rescue was necessary. Would you guys agree with that? The rescue was necessary. Would you agree that it was 
worth both the risk and the money? Would you, what if it was one of your own children? In a more compelling way, though, than this rescue here, and on a much grander scale, the rescue of sinners trapped in a life of misery is the primary mission of the church. I'm going to say that again. The rescue of sinners trapped in a life of misery is the primary mission of the church. We have spent weeks looking at the, the what and the why of the well church, right? What, what, why do we exist? The well church exists to impact Ionia with the gospel by people learning the Bible and then living out those biblical truths. And our mission, our what, what do we do about it, is to help everyday people uncover life-changing truths through Christ. We do this through our four G's. Remember, our what's first? What was the first one that we looked at? Gathering. We looked at our gathering. And then we looked at our, our giving. And then last week we looked at our growing. And so today we're going to look at our going. What does it mean to go? What does it mean to go? Time and time again throughout the Gospels, Jesus reiterated this was the mission of the church, to rescue sinners. Mark 10.45 will come to the screen for you, and it says this, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said it again in Luke 19.10 when it said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. There was a mission that Jesus was on. He was to be about his father's business. He even said that as a young boy, as he was in the temple with the leaders at the age of 12. He said, I must be about my father's business. And if we do not understand church, and if we do not understand our relationship to and with Christ, we will never understand the mission. Never. Christ understood the mission. And for us, as a church body, we are to intentionally engage our culture by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we are to be doing. But in all reality, in all reality, perhaps the reason that we lack the will and desire to fulfill that mission and carry that message is because we have a lack, or in some cases, a loss of motivation. A loss of motivation to do so. I want to read to you from the book of Matthew real quick before we dive further into this. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people in that day. And when the Pharisees heard in chapter 22 of Matthew, but when the Pharisees heard, and you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to read. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest 
and first commandment. And a second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depends all of the law and the prophets. Jesus is, is trying to let, let the religious people know that love for God will always result in a love for other people. There was nothing that was going to trip Jesus up from the religious leaders. Why? Because the agape love of God will always ignite a passion in us to move towards other people. And if it doesn't, then you're not experiencing the agape love of God. Your relationship is messed up if God's love for you does not spur you on to go and tell other people of the hope that you have. Peter tells us that we should be ready always, always, not tomorrow, not a week from now, not ten months from now, always be ready to give an answer of the hope that you have inside of you. That means all the time. Every day. You remember what I told you that word all means in the Greek? Always means the same thing. It means always, all the time, at any given time. Always. The only reason, though, that we are able to love God and love others is because of what John stated in 1 John 4 when he said that God loved us and because of that we are able to love him. Jesus himself and what he responded to the religious leaders was quoting the, New, or the Old Testament. And so, I want to chase a rabbit trail for just a moment. Do not ever, ever skip out on reading the Old Testament of Scripture. The entirety of the Bible is true. From Genesis to Revelation, every single piece, it's all interconnected. And you can see Christ and grace and mercy in every single chapter and every single verse. So don't ever negate the Old Testament. Do not follow preachers and pastors online or read their books that say that the Old Testament was for naught and that it was just a history lesson because that's not true. The Old Testament is just as much as important. And if you go back and you study through the New Testament, most of the writers, all they did was speak from the Old Testament. That's what they did the whole time. And Jesus was speaking that very thing in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules in verse number 1 of Deuteronomy 6. It says that the Lord your God commanded you to teach that you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. So this is supposed to be something that's generational. It's passed on. It says, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear. Therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, verse number four, I need you guys to listen intently. I need you to put on, hold on, I need everyone to just look up here real quick. I need everyone to put on their spiritual seatbelts with me right now. Just grab right beside you. Put on your spiritual seatbelts. Because we're going to dive hard into these next couple of verses. Okay? Very, very hard. And we're going to go fast. Okay? And I don't want you to miss this. But in verse number four, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is where Jesus was quoting. And he said, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets. Meaning you should have it hanging here in front of your face. And it says, you shall write them in verse number 9 on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And we're going to stop right there. And this here is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we come to you now. And we ask of you in this place, Lord, to have your presence fall upon us. Help us to see something fresh and new from Scripture. Because your word is alive and it's active. God, I pray that it would penetrate to the depths of our heart, that it would cast out all darkness within us, that we would see that we need a love for you before we can even step foot out of this building to impact any other person in our circle of influence. God, do a work in this place that only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first thing I want us to see from this passage of Scripture is the mindset of going comes from aligning our heart with God. The mindset of going comes from aligning our heart with God. When our thinking is changed, our actions will follow. And for us in this room and for the people who are watching online right now, we gather together around the table of grace because of what God did through Christ. That's why we're able to gather together. Because of what God did. And then we are sent after that as messengers of that grace. Because of the hope that we have. We are sent as messengers. The good news though for us as a church. The good news for the other churches here in this area. The good news for lost people is that God is not done gathering people to his table. If he was done, we would not be sitting in this room. Do you guys believe that? Like, God's not done gathering people. He wants people to be a part of his family. Jesus gave his life on the cross. We looked all throughout Passion Week. We looked at what he did, and he gave his life on the cross so that we could in turn live with that same mindset. To, to bring grace and hope and mercy to a lost and a dying people that are around us. And it has to start somewhere. I want you to go back to verse number four. I want, to, I want you to see the starting point. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. I want you to etch those two verses into your memory. Tattoo them onto your heart. Never forget verse 4 and 5. Those two verses come from what, what Judaism calls the Shema. It is a prayer that is prayed two times a day. In the morning and in the evening. It's something that's repeated over and over and over again. And every single devout Jewish individual prays this prayer. It's why Jesus spoke it. It's what Jesus would have grown up doing because Jesus was Jewish. 
It's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the religious people would have known what the Shema was. And Jesus is using it against their unbelief in him. He's using truth, something that they would have already known. And in the New Testament, Jesus is saying, what's the, they're, they're asking Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he immediately goes and says the Shema. The Shema is... The Shema begins, though, and do not miss this. The Shema begins with an emphasis on hearing. On hearing. It says, hear, O Israel. It's saying this is important. Don't miss it. That's what it's saying to us. It's almost as if it's trying to get our attention in the most profound of ways. I remember, I remember... When I was a child, and my mom or my dad, when they spoke my full name, when they said Joshua Sean Cahill, I knew I better listen to the next thing that came out of their mouth. I knew it. And that's what this is saying. Jesus is saying, hey, and then fill in your name. Listen to this. That's what Jesus, it's the Shema. Go back to it. That's the thing that you need. Romans Romans 10, Paul himself put it this way, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. It's saying, this is it. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, often repeated the phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear. There was emphasis on hearing what was spoken. And this is, this is it. Hear. But then you see next, there's an, there's an affirmation of the Shema, of the profound statement that, that Christianity is a single God. That's it. There's nothing more. It's monotheistic, meaning there's only one God. And do you know that this was the unique contribution to Christianity that the Jews gave to us? Was the concept of monotheism. The concept of having only one God came from the Jewish people. And we still walk in that. We still walk in that. The, the Shema is saying to us when it says the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's saying Yahweh, the God is our God. Yahweh is one. And in a world of idolatry in this day and age, the Israelites needed a reminder that he was the true and only God. And for us today, that has not changed. For us today, that has not changed. Amen? Amen. God is the only true God. Now I want to speak to something here in Scripture that messes with people. Many people have a struggle and a difficulty with this portion of scripture because of the violence that is found. The violence that we see through the first several books of, of the Bible, the Pentateuch. 
There's, there's great violence. God instructs Israel to destroy their enemies. And when, when they do so, that often includes the innocent civilians, women and children that, that happen and it occurs. And it's not easy to understand such violence that's found in the commands of God. But I will tell you, I will tell you this. This scripture here has also been used to justify those acts still today, and that's not what it meant. The reason why God allowed and commanded the Israelites to destroy people in that way is because he knew that Israel would never bow to one God if they were continuously mingled with people who had idols. And so God had to wipe it all out because he wanted them to know, I am the only God. And if you constantly run over here to this, then that's where you're going to be at. And it's the same for us today in this world. Our society has so many gods. We worship the God of money and of success and families and husbands and wives and sex and drugs. Everything in our world is seen as a God anymore and people are willing to put anything before God. People are willing to do that. And our idolatrous actions today are no better or worse than anything we saw in the Old Testament. And then people sit in churches, and they sit in their homes, and they pray, God bless America. God's not going to bless America because we're a nation that's filled with other gods. Don't you understand why the things are happening in our culture? God is not going to bless a country that slaughters innocent and unborn children. Do you know that America has the most abortions out of any other country combined? In the last year alone, the last year alone in COVID, our government thought it well to allow abortions to occur and over two million babies were slaughtered. And people pray for God to bless America. That's not going to happen. People pray for God to bless America when we're giving in and and, and we lay down for the rights of the LGBTQ plus community. God is not going to bless any nation that turns away from truth and tries to eliminate God from everything. And don't ever forget that, people. Christianity is hard. Christianity was never meant to be easy. We are meant to suffer. That's what Peter talks about, that Christians will suffer if they follow God. Why did Jesus himself say, the world hated me first, and if you follow me, it's going to hate you too? God calls us to worship him, not my agenda, not my kids' agenda. Not my spouse's agenda, not my boss's agenda. Him. God calls us to worship the one true God. And the Shema says it. It says the Lord our God is the one God. We are commanded To love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our might. And with so many, so many demands in our, 
in our culture and in our churches to perform worship a certain and very specific way. There's a danger for us as believers of just performing as an outward manner. I came to church on Sunday, check it off. I read my Bible today, check it off. I prayed for two minutes, check it off. But the scripture is very clear. The Shema is very clear that God does not want blind obedience and slavery. That's not what he called for. God wants a loving relationship with his people. And one mistaken idea is that we should love God simply because we're commanded to. That's a mistaken idea. And though it may be a worthy reason as to why we should love God, it should not be the main reason that we love God. We are to love God because He first loved us. That's why. Yes, amen, church. We are to love God because He first loved us. I know I talked about this a little bit on Good Friday. The movie, The Passion of the Christ... Mel Gibson directed, and, and right before that, or right after that movie was released, he had several interviews, several interviews about, about the movie and, and different things that were in it. And people repeatedly said that it's not a movie that you watch, it's a movie that you experience. Mel Gibson wrote and directed that film out of his own religious convictions as a devout Catholic. Why he created the movie. And he made the comment at the beginning of a specific interview, and he said that Jesus' wounds healed me. And he said that those wounds can heal us as well if we have ears to hear it. If we have ears to hear it. There were things that struck me about that movie, though. Things that came as responses. Do you know the man who played Jesus Christ was struck by lightning while he was hung on the cross? Things occurred from that specific movie. And partway into the interview, the interviewer said, the interviewer said this, were you in the movie? Because I did not see you. And Mel Gibson replied and said, yes, I was. I was in that movie. And the interviewer was like, well, I did not see you. Where were you at? And he said, well, it was my hands that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was my hands. And it was the hands of every sinner from beginning to end that nailed him there. It was not the Jewish people. It was our sin that placed Jesus on that cross. And until, until we can see the cross in that light and we can finally understand the supreme act of God's love, we will never go and share the gospel with people. We will never share hope inside of uh, the hope that we have inside of us until we understand the supreme act of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And so I can't stand before you and preach out of the book of Acts and tell you to go like the early church. And I can't stand before you and go to Matthew 28 and, 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 and talk about the Great Commission until we have a love for God in order to go. God loved us 
And because of that, we're able to love him. I want you to see this verse on the screen. It says, Beloved, let one another, or let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment, the replacement for our sins. And it says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. When our mindset is changed, when our mindset is changed, when we know that we are able to love God, and when we love God with our very being, our actions will follow. Our actions will follow. And so I want us to see the second thing this morning is that the motivation to go comes from living out the greatest commandment. The motivation to go. I want us to see something here, though. Verse number six says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the wayside, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know, this has always been a problem of men since the beginning of time. A divided heart. A divided heart. A man or a woman who is double-minded, set on their own earthly affections and trying to intermingle those with God. That was the problem with the Israelites. It's still the problem today. Do you know that James 1.8 tells us that the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways? Unstable. The first commandment is you shall have no other God before me. That's why the love of the Lord with all the heart, the soul, and the might is the greatest commandment. David, the man after God's own heart, said, Unite my heart to fear your name. Not my name, not my kingdom, not my wives, not my kids, but your name. People often try to fill the void of emptiness in their life and they become even more empty when they do it. This is never meant to be there except for to be filled by God. Doesn't it seem strange though that the God who is love has to plead and beg for ours? Man's love and ardor for God fades so easily. But God said, keep these words on your heart. Keep them on. We are to remember them whenever anything comes along to attract us. We're to remember God's word. It says to teach them diligently. Husbands and wives, let me ask you a question this morning. 
Do you get around uh, the bed or around the table together as a husband and wife and sit and read God's word? Do you talk about biblical things when you're with your spouse? Do you pray together over God's word for you, for your marriage, for your children? Do you do that? Parents, do you sit down and teach your children to love God supremely? Do you do that? That's a struggle. But you have to answer that question, do you? Grandparents, what about your grandkids? Do you do that with your grandkids? The tragedy in Christianity is there are so many who are lost to the Lord, even in Christian homes. Just because you walked into this building today does not make you a Christian going to heaven. People are lost to the Lord. Why? Because the world has so many things that are vying for our love. And unless we constantly stress the importance of loving God above all, we are apt to sadly see people fall away and walk away and never get saved. When, when we do not love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and might, and we don't share the hope that's inside of us, we're leading people to hell. Never forget that. When we do not live out God's word in its entirety, we're leading people to hell. God's word says we are to talk about him when we sit in our house. We are, we are to think and, and, and pray when we're driving in our cars. We are to do it when we're lying down. We are to do it when we rise in the morning. There's one specific topic, though, that I, I believe is probably one of the biggest tools of the enemy. One of the biggest tools. It's not the internet. It's not the television. It's music. It's music. Music has one of the greatest influential impacts in somebody's life, and the world does it better than Christianity. Do you know that Lucifer himself, before he was kicked out of heaven, was the chief worship leader? He was the one who led the angels to sing. Of course he's going to know how to use music to enter us. Of course he's going to know what's going to sound good. And so guess what? You should play worship music when you're in your car. You should play worship music when you're at home. Why? Because it keeps us thinking on and saturated in truth. It keeps us from straying away. But I want you to know something. It says to write it on your doorposts. Write it on your doorposts. The Jews, still to this day, have something called a mezuzah. I have one hanging on the doorpost of my office downstairs. The mezuzah is, is fastened on the doorpost. It's a little metal box. And inside that metal box is the Shema. It's on a scroll and it's rolled up and it's placed there inside of that mezuzah. And it's there. And whenever a Jew will enter their home, whenever they leave their home, they put their finger to their mouth and they place their other finger on that mezuzah. And they will quote this, they will say, I love your law. Oh, God. They do it every time. Every time. Like clockwork. 
As I'm coming and as I'm going, as I'm coming, as I'm going, I love your law, O Lord. Why? Why do they do it? Well, because they want to refocus on God before they do anything. Before they do anything at all. They're coming back to Scripture. They're coming back to truth. They're coming back to renew their mind and making sure that it stayed on, on God's truth. Why do you think Paul told us in Romans chapter 12 that we are not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind? Not so that it would just be renewed, but it said we would then be able to know the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. The Shema was to remind them of, of truth. We only, only way to love God and love others is by meditating on God's truth. You can't do it by your TV screens or your cell phones or your, your groups where you go and hang out. You can't do it from a restaurant. The only way to love God and love other people is by staying my mind on God's truth. That's it. We will never go to our families. We will never go to our friends or our co-workers or our neighbors unless we have stayed our mind on absolute truth. Absolute truth. And the only absolute truth that we have is right here in the Word of God. There's no news station. There's no president. There's no governor. There's no magazine. No book that is absolute truth. This here is absolute truth. And until our mind is stayed on that truth. John 15 tells us that we are to abide in the vine. When we abide in Christ, we are sanctified. And when sanctification occurs in our life, we go. We go. Why? Because when we hide God's word... Don't forget this. When we hide God's word in our heart, we will not want to sin against him. As the writer of one, Psalm 119 said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against you. So obedience brings us closer to Christ and to one another as we gather together, as we give of ourselves as we grow in our faith, and as we go reach those in need of rescue. So the question I want to lead us, leave us with this morning is this. Where do you need to grow in your love for God? Not in your love for others, because that will come. But where do you need to grow in your love for God? You need to answer that question. I cannot. I can help you. I can show you truth. But only you can answer that question. I can't force you to go to heaven with me. I wish I could. I wish I could, I could drag you kicking and screaming. But I can't. I can just speak the hard truth, right? What did I say a couple weeks ago? 
Strong preaching does not create hard people. It creates soft and pliable people, ones who are willing to go, ones who love the Lord. Where's your love? Pray. God, I come to you right now, Lord, and I just thank you for your truth. I thank you for, um, for the hard reality, Lord, that we will never go. We will never be an influence here in this community, in our circles of influence, unless we love you first. God, I pray that we would take, take these truths, that we would meditate on them, that we would seek your word, God, for life change. God, I know sometimes your word is hard. I know sometimes it, it kind of puts us in sticky places because it makes us uncomfortable. But the gospel is offensive because it's the only truth. And we get offended when it's not our truth or when it's not our way. But as your word says, Lord, show me your way that we may walk with you. Help us to be a people that walk with God. Help us to be a people who come to truth first and allow it to change us, to sanctify us, to be people who gather, give, grow, and go. And I ask and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.